Heavenly Father, we are thankful people. We're so grateful to meet here today together. Lord, you've called us together and we worship together, we pray together, we listen together. We're so thankful for that. Lord, I ask now as I preach that you'd help me and that you'd help um, us all to hear and not just hear in our ears but understand in our minds and also let there be power in this room so that grace actually imparts and lives are changed. So we thank you for that. In the name of Christ, we rebuke every evil scheme and refuse permission for the schemes of the evil one to affect, um, affect this room now, affect me as I speak. Amen. Okay, great. Today's a great day and uh, it's good because I, I don't know the last time that I got to talk when in the room was John Alley, David Alley and Johnny Maxwell. So, you know, just, you know, everything. I'm not saying the planets aligned, but something's happened here. And uh, anyway, it's going to be a good day. I've just got a prop over here I'm going to grab. And uh, just give me one second. And I had a, um, I actually got to preach in Oki two weeks ago, just between camping trips, and I had a better prop. And um, oh, my iPad just died. Um, and but I couldn't. I knew I had one, but I couldn't find it, which was very disappointing. So I had to get a, a not so good prop. So anyway, here it is. So anyway, we're going to talk about God's purpose today, why you're here. Okay, and it's falling on from David's, well, I was away for one, but I heard at least two of David's sermons. He preached New Year's Day on the ever-expanding kingdom of God, and that was brilliant. If you weren't here New Year's Day, you need to hear that. And then, I don't know what he preached second week because I wasn't here. And then last week, he spoke about, you know, the natural desire to have children and then raising spiritual children, you know, aiming to save three people in your life. Do you remember this? And if you didn't hear that, you need to do that again. Anyway, last week he spoke from Genesis 1 in the middle, and um, he talked about God's commission to multiply. And anyway, I happened to speak from that at Lloyd's place two weeks ago, but I did three verses, and I had three points. And so I said to them through the week, listen, you missed two of the three points. Like, this is what happens when you prepare overnight, right? They just, you just miss stuff. So... I thought, I'm going to preach this week, and, and we're going to bring out... A, now, I know there's probably 40 points in this, but anyway, I'm going to preach from three, and then someone can improve next week. So anyway, God's purpose. Now, you know, tools that you have... Tools have a purpose, but if you don't know what, you, what the purpose of a tool is, it's useless, right? Yeah, it is. Like, it's like the old saying, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Okay? So... That's why you always get other people to help you solve problems, okay, people? So that means if you don't know what a tool's for, you use it for the wrong thing. Now, the tool I had at Lloyd's Place, not many people knew. People will know what this is. This is a very easy tool to pick what it is, so it's not as uh, obscure. But a lot of people in this room would not know what this tool does, right? Is that correct? Can we get a general nod of the heads? Yes. Okay. So this is what you call a roof anchor. So uh, when you get up on the roof, you unscrew a few bits of tin and you screw this onto a, a joist and, and you hang off it. Okay, well, no, you don't really hang off it. It's, it's um, more, you know, fall prevention than fall arrest. There's a difference between those two things. Okay, you make the rope sh short enough that you don't end up anywhere near the edge. If you don't know about diagonals and angles, people fall off. Anyway, I'll explain that later. So, um, but that is what, that's a fall, prevention, um, a fall prevention device. And so that tool is only useful 
if you know what it's for. You understand that? Okay, so in your life I've heard many people say, I don't know what, don't know what my calling is, I don't know why my purpose is, and if you don't know what you're here for, um, I'm not saying you're useless, I'm saying that tools you don't know what they're for are useless. Okay? People need to know what they're here for. And the good thing is in the first book of the Bible, God tells us. So it's really simple that if you're prepared to read your Bible, you know what you're here for. Now, I know that a lot of people want to be like William Wilberforce and, you know, abolish slavery, all those things. And, yeah, that would be really cool to have a calling where you're, you know, like Billy Graham, right? I mean, how cool would it be to have that calling? But in the end, Billy Graham started here. Okay, so if, if you can't nail this, you're not going to be a William Wilberforce, you're not going to be a Billy Graham, so just forget it. Just nail what God has asked you to do right from the start, okay? So, otherwise we'll feel like the man who said, I have a clock that tells me when to get up, some days I need one to tell me why. So, um, this, this is what you've got to get in your head, so when you wake up in the morning you know why you have got up, okay? Great. Why did God create people? And uh, I explained this earlier. David preached about the ever-expanding kingdom of God on New Year's Day. And then last year, he, uh, last week, he talked about raising children. Um, so we're going to talk about why God created people. So here we go. We're going to preach from Genesis 1, first book in the Bible. You know it's good when it comes from the start, right? Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay? So, so our purpose in life comes from those three verses, three purposes. Okay? So, <laughs> I had a wardrobe malfunction with this image about two weeks ago, so uh, we've zoomed in. I got heavily criticised, and I'm saying, it's art, you know? Anyway, I've, le I've learnt. Okay, so John 1.26 says, Then God says, Let us make mankind in our image. Okay? So the reason number one that you are alive is God created people to reflect his image. That is the number one you're here. Yes, we are here to have children, but this, is, this comes first. Okay? Before you're meant to have children, you are created to reflect God's image. Number one. Okay? So, and, and in that uh, verse it says, you know, let God said in our image, as in it, it's an allusion to, towards the Trinity, right? And I've read some, you know, some commentaries about the counsel of God and whether there be angels and all that. And you might have heard this. I'm telling you, no. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no angels in this. This is just God, okay? And we know that because God writes it even in places like Isaiah 40 from 12 onwards, which is a passage that says, who compares to God? It says, from whom does he receive instructions? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? So that's a no. So there's, in, in terms of creation, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three equal persons, 
and we were made in his image. Now, an important port point to note in that verse 27, it says we're made in his image, male and female in his image. So males, you're made in the image of God, and females, you're made in the image of God. Okay, please note, but males and females are different. Okay, I know there's a common current thing happening, you know, everyone wants to be the same or fluid. I can tell you now that males are made in the image of God, but they're different to females who are made in the image of God. Okay? And, and what's great is we get to reflect God in this. You know, God, in that first statement, God's asked us to reflect him. So if you just look at the Trinity, you have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay? So God the Son, Jesus Christ, has a different, um, per, as a different person to God the Father. They have different roles, right? So we, Jesus' Son came to earth, humbled himself, submitted to his Father. He said, I only do what my Father does. I only say what my Father does. So these are two equal persons, but they do different roles, but it doesn't mean one's above the other, right? So why I'm saying this is even if it's not very politically correct, men and women have different roles. Husbands and wives have different roles. And by doing those roles, you are reflecting the image of God. Now, I'm a big believer that in terms of the expanding family, the expanding kingdom of God, the family, uh, you know, a family like me, Christian, the kids, that is the first level of that. If someone wants to see the kingdom of God on earth, they need to see that in that family. They need to see us reflecting Christ, number one, made in his image. So therefore, Krista needs to do what she is called to do, and I need to do what I'm called to do, and they're different roles, and one is not higher than the other, but they are different. And, um, and we know in current culture, the roles of men and women are under strong attack. I'm just saying out loud, we are called to be different, and part of bringing glory to Christ is actually portraying those roles properly. So I'm just going to chuck up a slide and see what you think about it. So, for instance, in, um, I don't know where, this is, this is Ephesians, say. Ephesians 5 talks about men and women, okay, and it says this. Oh, well, first it talks generally. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So even before we get into a picture of marriage, if we're going to, bear the image of Christ, which is our first calling, we need to submit to one another the reverence of Christ. Whether you're married or not, you need to submit to leaders. Other, you know, that, that shows Christ in you. So verse 21, submit to others out of reverence of Christ. But here we go. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in uh, everything. Um, that's what it says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So, my go is our first calling, especially if, if you're not married yet, submit to everyone. Simple. But if you are married, we need to seriously consider these instructions, right? And the problem is we see submission from a, you know, like from, it's not from a biblical experience perspective. But anyway, here's my go on it. Submission for a wife. It needs to be voluntary. Okay? So, um, the church is not dragged along in obedience to Christ. It's our choice to respond. Okay? It needs to be reverent. Right? It's, and, you know, I know not all husbands are perfect, but it's not the worth of the husband that calls for submission but the worth of the Saviour that calls for submission. 
and it needs to be comprehensive in everything. Uh, common sense, of course, but we say that in our vows anyway, for better or worse. But this is important for husbands. Like if we're talking about being made in the image of God, male and female, he created them, reflecting his image. Husbands are called to love, and it's costly. Like you think about Christ coming to the church, that was costly. He gave up all his identity, like he gave up all his rights. It gave up his power to be you know, everywhere at once. He came to earth and he died for us. He died for the church. So if husbands are looking for a role model, an example of how to fulfill this side of the, you know, the agreement, think Christ submitting himself to death. That's, so love is costly. It's unconditional. Uh, the Bible says while we are still sinners, Christ came. It's transformational. I mean, think of the world since Christ came. And it's gentle. And, um, and, you know, one thing I've said, I preached the Father's Day sermon last year, and I'll say it again today. You know, Christ came. We were dead when Christ came. So I've always said fathers move first, and now I'll say husbands move first. So in this equation of love and submission, the husband moves first. Okay? So if things aren't right in your marriage, and you think she really should change because she needs to be reverent and willingly submit, I can tell you the costly love happens first. Okay? Fathers move first, husbands move first. Just like God, like we reflect God, we reflect the image of God. That's our first calling. So why did God create people? He created people to reflect his image. Male and female, he created them in the image of God. So reflect God in your family, your relationships, how you treat each other, and your attitudes. This is your first purpose. When the alarm clock goes off every single morning, just remember my purpose in life, my calling, my mission is to reflect God's image in every aspect of our lives, especially in our families. Okay? Number two. I also zoomed out on this one. <laughs> so number two is so they may rule. So the verse says, second half of verse 126, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. So purpose number two for men and women who are reflecting the glory of God is to subdue the earth. It's number two. And whenever I hear subdue the earth, I think what it implies to me is work. We're called to work. Okay. It's what it says over the fish, you know, if you're a fisherman. And this is what we're called to do. We are called to work, number two. Number one, reflect the image of God. Number two, we're called to work. And um, now we don't want to go to the two extremes of this. Like, um, like taking dominion of the earth is not like just laying it bare of all its resources. And, like, but it's not the other thing where you can't eat a fish either, right? You've got to, you know, generally the further you go to this, an extreme of a point of view, the more likely you are to be wrong, Okay. So in terms of dominion, and you know, we, we've got to have that middle ground of caring about the future of our earth, the future of the family, living in a way that we're not you know, taking all the resources out of the earth, but we can still you know, farm and all those sort of things to make life work. Okay? So why God created people? Krista said when I preached at Oki, I repeated myself a lot. But that's because it takes seven times to say it to get into your head. Okay, so 
I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. So number one, you're created to reflect the image of God, male and female, created in God's image. Please think about that. Not the same. Different, you know, different purposes. But reflect God in every aspect of our life, especially in our families. Number two, we're created to work hard. And I, I tell people about work, I say, well, God worked six and rested one, it should be good for the rest of us. Okay? Now, this is what makes it then better, because working hard is hard work, obviously, and not, many pe- not a lot of people enjoy it. But guess what? The Bible provides for that as well, because, okay, there's, there's a word in the Bible for work, or employment, or labor, or being a servant, or being a slave. Uh, it even ties into the service of God. Now, I realize in Hebrew there's a million words for worship, so I'm not saying this is a comprehensive analysis of work and worship, but this word means work. And it's H65656, if you want to have a look at it. It's a Hebrew word literally meaning work. In modern context, usually refers to business type activities, can also mean agricultural work and more traditionally serving God. Uh, in its original term, it was used to sacrifices in the temple, such as the high priest on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. I mean, how good a meaning is that? You know, the Day of Atonement being linked to this word and to work. But then there's actually a root word of this word, a word that's numbered a bit earlier. See, this is H5656. So there's an there's a earlier word called, let's go for Abad, but I'm not Hebrew. So this, this work means, uh, believe it or not, work or employment, uh, labor, or service of God. In fact, it's just the same. Um, oh, it says here, I've written it down, pronounced Abad. So there you go, say the V. And it has the same definition. And um, basically the ancient, like before ancient Hebrews had a deep understanding of how faith and work came together in your life. And the word is used in the beginning of the Old Testament. This word kicks in in Genesis 2. I know it's not a Genesis 1. It comes in Genesis 2.15 um, with God's commission. And it's God's original desire that our work and our worship would be a seamless way of living. So here we go. This is Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. So that's that word, Abed. Okay, A-B-A-D. A-B-A-D, but said Abed. So Genesis 2.15, right from the start, God wants us to work. Right? But then again, we have Exodus 8.11. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so they may worship me. Same word. Exact same Hebrew word. That H5647. That's that word. Work. Worship. If you want to get a more musical, you know, like us today, Psalm 102, worship the Lord with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. Same word. So right from the start, God's asking us to, for dominion and to subdue the, the earth, but in that original commission in Genesis 2.15 where he says to work in the garden, that's the same word he's using us to worship the Lord, with gladness, come before him with joyful songs. So everyone, when you're going to work six days a week, just know it's worship. Know it's what God commanded in the garden. Just know you are serving God as you do it. And I love this one because I love hard work. This is out of Proverbs. A hard worker, same word, has plenty of food, but a person who chases fantasies ends up in poverty. So there you go. Hard work has plenty of food. Same word. 
Oh, and here's another one. Same word. And this is the one I read out in my wedding speech because I love it. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we all serve the Lord. Same word. Worship. Work. So by me working hard, like Proverbs, to try and get some food, it's the same declaration as me and my family will serve the Lord. Okay? So when you go to work every day, you have a choice. Is it just you know, a job a few hours a week to earn some money, or is it, is it your worship? As a male and a female, is it your worship? Are you reflecting the image of God as you go to work? Because that's what we're called to do. And so you can literally say, I, I worship like 50 hours a week. I worship 60 hours a week. And that doesn't even count when I'm at home. You know what I mean? And you, you can be the most worshipful person in your community. But it all comes back to your, you've got to reflect God as you do it. So work, anyway, the conti- I call work the continued service of God, service towards God through others. You know, there's nothing better than serving God by serving other people. You know, whether they're Christian or not, whenever you work and serve other people, you're serving God. And that's the attitude you need to have. Okay, so, but there's also the, as you know, there's also the sing-song side, the worship side, you know, Sunday morning side. And, and I was going to throw this in today because uh, Jack Hayford died, I think it was last week, but he, he was the guy who wrote, you know, Majesty, Worship His Majesty. Um, most Christians will know that song. Maybe not some of the young ones, but like this is a classic um, you know, Brown Booker, you know, and he, um, he passed away a week or so ago, but he transformed or helped to transform Christian worship and music. Um, and this is what he said, it, worship has often been misunderstood as the musical prelude rather than the means by which we as the people of God invite the dominion of his kingdom to be established on earth. So, you know, and we're talking about subduing the earth, you know, purpose number two. So, you know, Psalms 22.3 says the King of Kings is literally enthroned in our praises. So wherever God's people come, people come together to worship, like this morning. So this is a different leg, you know, to the work is worship, but us coming together singing is also worship. We become a habitation for his presence. So um, Jack Hayford's parents were not Christian. They were a, a standard unbelieving heathen family, right? But when he was young, Jack, he had a condition um, in his neck, in the tendons of his neck that was going to uh, be fatal to him, right? So he had a, a cousin, I think. You know how we pray for people on a Sunday morning? Well, this is exactly what happened, but, I mean, he was born in 34, so we're saying late 30s. This happened nearly 100 years ago, you know? And they dropped a message, like a handwritten note, into a local church and said, can you pray for young Jack? He's a baby. He's a young fella. But he's got this condition in his neck and it's going to be fatal. And so they asked for prayer. And anyway, gradually over the next few weeks, this baby was healed. Jack was healed. And um, the doctor was quoted as saying, because he wouldn't charge, apparently. What a great doctor. He said, I had nothing to do with the healing of this baby. This has to be, have been, been something God did, is what the doctor said, and didn't charge the family. So anyway, um, and then as Jack grew up, he was, he, everyone was encouraging him. He went to, university, uh, went to school and everyone was encouraging him to be 
um, you know, just a standard career path, but he met a Lutheran minister who said, no, you need to, you need to get into the ministry. Like into, um, so he went to Bible college, and he, he ended up going to a four-square Bible college, and then, um, so he ended up, ended up in a church in the late 60s, about when, you know, in his mid-30s. He ended up in a church in the middle of, uh, in, I think it's in L.A., in uh, Venaise. I think it's in L.A. And um, this church had 25 people in it, and it was dying. Like, it was just a church that was getting smaller and smaller. And um, he was quoted, um, he, he said the place felt suffocating, is what he said. And so he just, after reading Psalm 22 about the dominion of God, he just started singing himself in that church. Like he, he said he'd just walk around just singing uh, praise, not like, like he started worshipping just through the week in his church. And he said, I was conscious, conscious of challenging something in the atmosphere of that place. That was his quote. And, um, and he said after a year, that place completely changed. Uh, anyway, by the end of the 80s, he had 10,000 people in that church in about 20 years. So obviously he had something of the life of Christ in him. I know some men and some women carry anointing, but he obviously carried a grace to completely transform an atmosphere through worship. And, and that's what I'm challenging you guys today, that if you have a, um, sometimes if you feel you're somewhere that's suffocating, considering number two is our call to work and worship to, to you know, grow dominion of the earth, and we know that when you praise, God inhabits that place, he, he gets dominion where you praise, where you sing God lives there. If there's a calling to that, and you, instead you feel somewhere like you're suffocating, then just use your brains and maybe start singing. You know, start changing how you live to allow God to live there. Anyway, the other interesting thing, which is sort of along our path as well, is he, um, back then especially, they never associated with any other churches, but he found this increased love for Baptists, and, uh, which I found interesting. And then one day he was having a go at the Catholics, and um, he asked God about it, why he just didn't like Catholics. And God said, he said, the Catholics are people who every single morning reflect on my sacrifice and what I've done. He goes, they have communion every morning. And he challenged him about loving the Catholics. So Jack Hayford started loving Baptists, loving Catholics, and just increasing his community of Christians in his place. I mean, if that can happen in the 60s, um, it's amazing. Anyway, anyway, Majesty was a top 10 song even in the 2000s if you look at the CCLI charts. So um, anyway, we might sing it one week. We'll have to learn, learn it. But what a great song. So majesty is a statement of the fact that our worship, we, which start in the spirit of truth, can align us with his throne in such a way that the kingdom authority flows to us to overflow us, free us, and channel through us. Anyway, so just remember that's what worship does. So work does it. As in when we work hard by reflecting God as we work, that's worship. But we need to worship as well. We need to do both. So, and guess what? Paul picks up the same thing, theme, different words. It wasn't the H5647 word by the time we got to the New Testament. He's speaking in a different language, but this is what Paul said. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him in everything you do. So same thing, 
So Paul also emphasizes the link between work and worship and everything else. So this is the one David spoke about last week. Number three, the reason why we were put here. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. So purpose number three, God created people to reproduce godly offspring. Our children are one of the greatest blessings and biggest responsibilities God entrusts to us. And we need to take the time and the effort to see each child come to know Christ and to be trained in his ways. But there's also the spiritual application to this verse of which David spoke about last week. And uh, even in the author of Hebrews talking about Christ says, he's, Christ says, I and the children God has given me. So even Jesus reflected on spiritual children as in disciples. And that was, David was speaking about that last week, about seeing three people come to Christ. So, um, I don't have much to say about parenting this morning. We'll do another day on it. But just so you know, as part of your calling as parents, you are, it, it's not a false call. It's not a, you know, a sub-call under, you know, it's not under letting people get out of slavery. Raising children is an original call. It's a first call. It's, it's, it's before those calls. You, you've got to get your life in order where you reflect the image of God, male and female reflecting the image of God. You work and you worship. Work is worship. Worship is worship. And then you raise and train your kids. And what I was going to say... Um, what I was going to say now is some people don't have kids, some people aren't even married, that's fine. Then that same desire needs to be in training other people, discipling people. And you know, when I was at uh, Oki, I just had this, I won't say it was a revelation, I just had this thought, you know, how can people raise other people to disciple? And I'm thinking, it comes back to that number two of worship. So. I reckon what we need to do here, and it might take a year, same as Jack Hayford's church, we, we need to be a people fully aware how God lives in our praise. And, and if you want to be a good example on how to, say you don't have any kids or they're grown up, if you want to be a good example of how to raise kids, how about you stand up and sing? Like not just stand up and mouth the words and, you know, or like, Stand up and worship. Just start here at church and, and do it in your car and do it at home. But how about we here as a people, and I'm going to keep on raising it because otherwise we'll forget. We'll raise it this year, David. We'll just keep on saying. Like, if you want to raise godly offspring, as in not your own children, but someone who might be sitting three rows behind you, Noel's a great example of this. Like, just get up and sing. You know God inhabits the praises of your people. You know he is worthy of it. You know even when you're having your worst day, has nothing to do with him. He is worthy of your praise. So if you want to man up and raise some kids, because you know you've got a church full of people looking at you, how about we become a people who worship and a people who raise our hands and glorify God and actually praise? Even if it's only four songs a week, stand up and sing your hearts out because it'll make a difference in your life. And I can tell you, if after a year we have every single, say you have 120 people in your room and for those first four songs they're getting up and belting out the praises of God, you will have a transformed people. And even better if you get home and play at home as well, but you'll have a transformed church. So what's your calling? Are you called into full-time ministry? Maybe. But your first call is to stand up in the middle of church and sing your heart out. 
That's an earlier calling, okay? You're called to reflect God. You're called to work and work hard. And you're called to raise children and be a good example to other people. Okay? That's it. So, 11 o'clock, great. So anyway, um, David, are you going to come up here? No. Um, well, we're going to sing a song then because I have nothing else to do. I will pray for you though. Um, but we know singing's great. Heavenly Father, I'm, we're always so thankful. We're thankful that, um, Lord, I'm thankful that you created us and you've redeemed us and you've given us a purpose. We're not just here to live lives and, you know, die. We're here to reflect your image. We're here to work and to worship and we're here to raise children. And so, Lord, I ask that, you know, the grace, the call would rest on people and transform lives. It wouldn't be a message that goes in one ear and out the other, but like the wise man who built his house on the rock, it goes in and it's applied to life. I ask for grace for that today. And so, Lord, I ask for all the people of peace that as we live and as we work, we are people who glorify you, who serve others, who, who sing, who pray. And Lord, I ask you to bless us. May joy be in our households. May peace be in our hearts. Lord, I ask you to save our families and make us a people of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.